three. If you're looking up all the other times we've done it, it was previously known as Peloton and Preach, but we're trying to align accurately in all things, including our branding. And so uh, something to think about for things that you've potentially aligned yourself to, um, being conscientious of every element, right? And I get, and did for a while, get backlash even on the rainbow. And I uh, had to draw people into this guy in order for them to understand the reference, the knowledge, and the capital T truth. Good morning, everyone. How is it going? I'm super pumped to be here. I'm like all discombobulated. What's going on? My shirt's all wacky. My mic's all floppy. Loppy, is that a word? Floppy. Anyway, super pumped to share with you this morning. And I'm going to start in a place associated to ooh, what might feel like a little bit of friction to people. But you know I love friction. I don't feel like we can grow without friction. We can't grow without pressure, right? The diamonds are made in the pressure. The pearls are made in the pressure. And I know you all, you guys are eager to live that life of righteousness and holiness, not for the sake of your own name, not for the sake of anything besides glorifying God. Um, but we have to understand that every single day without the intention, without putting God first, without literally falling on our face before him in scenarios of joy and in scenarios of depression, in scenarios of of winning and scenarios of, of learning, right? It's not a lose, it's a learn. What can we learn today? And so I humbly just come before you, Lord, in a space and a time and a season where I know people are eager for you, Lord. They wanna see the supernatural. They wanna understand who you are. People are so tired of being naked and afraid and filled with shame. And God, you come to us and you say, who told you you were naked? You come to us as a loving father, eager to just love on us, to have us in a space of protection and comfort, in a space of victory, Lord. You've always protected your children. You always will. I thank you for that fatherly love. We give you this time. We give you this time to just reflect. And we give you this time in honor of our breath, in honor of our intention, in honor of our time, our energy, we just ask that you fill us up, Lord. Fill us up so we can go fight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo. All right. I want to go into that friction piece real quick. Where are you at? I did some good reading this morning. I was going to start there, and then I was like, ah, let's go. Okay. John 5, 24 starts, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. Let's prophesy. When the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son, and he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Here it goes. This is John 5, 28. Don't be surprised. Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves 
will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. And those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. And therefore my judgment is just. This is Jesus speaking, not me or a disciple. Because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. All right, y'all. Here it goes. We're going to dive in. It's this knowing that time is critical. In my opinion, of all the resources we have, time and health are probably the two I think are most critical. Time and energy, right? That's why we start our days pedaling and preaching. I could intentionally spend my time doing something else or not something and just being lethargic, sleeping. And I believe that every righteous act that is committed to God, who is laid before his feet, God, take my tired body, take my tired spirit and replenish me, right? This is that intentionality. Even when we're connected to our businesses, there are times where I feel like I am toiling behind the scenes and I'm not upfront. I'm not out in the limelight. I'm not at an event or a conference and I'm at my computer and I'm checking emails and I'm nurturing relationships and I'm in my DMs and I'm doing all these very natural things. And all I keep saying to God is like, Lord, where's the supernatural in this? And it always comes back to this book that actually I was reading it parallels perfectly to learning about Mother Teresa and it, she was talking about, and she lived her life like this. If you know anything about Mother Teresa, she loved Jesus. She spoke his name only, <laughs> pretty much. And everything she did was for the least of these because she believed and saw the way that Jesus lived, and that's how she wanted to live. But we were talking about this understanding of connection points between how we live, what we give with how we live, and what that reciprocity looks like from heaven. It literally says that you will rise again, that you will not be judged or condemned on your sins, that you're loved anyway. You're loved beyond. His sacrifice was already given for you. And so when we think about toiling in these times, every single thing we do is an intentional act. And the premise, just like Mother Teresa said, is love. You just need to love. Like that's our job description, <laughs> literally as Christians, is to love one another as you love yourself, right? And so there's that piece of understanding. First off, you have to know what and who love is and love is God. And it's one of the reasons that we're in such turmoil as a society. People don't know how to love. It's why our marriages are falling apart. It's why kids are going prodigal. They just want to be loved. And so there's this intentionality when it comes to pursuing God, when it comes to understanding God's love. His first character trait is compassion. When he literally spoke for the very first time about himself biblically, he said, I am the compassionate one. Compassionate. Now, I think about passion, and I could do a word dissection on this right now, but y'all have my handy-dandy research device with it being live right now, but the compassion piece and passion, right? There is a parallel. There is a symmetry to that. And so understanding compassion 
comes as compelled passion. Come on, Lord. That's so good. Because you could be passionate about something and not do anything with it. But when you are compassionate, when you're compelled into passion, you have to move. You cannot sit on your hands. You can't do it. And so I want to just enforce above all things from a place of love, action, right? From a place of love, movement. From a place of love, intentionality. Man, Mother Teresa talked to us so much about her passion, but it was not just an idea. It was compelled passion that literally saved hundreds of thousands of people. And her intention was not to have some miraculous uh, healing power when it came to a medical diagnosis or a medical ability. It was not through some miracle where all of these people with leper who were lepers were healed. That wasn't even her intention. Her intention was love. And out of love and very, very limited resources. So if you're in a space where you're like, I can't do it because I don't have money. Y'all, I'm so grateful that I read that book or listened. I'm an audible listener. I listened to that when I did because I'm completely transparent in the fact that like, yeah, I have abundant energy all from God. I have what feels like limited time, but I spend my time wisely and intentionally, not in a state of hustle or busy. And when I do, I feel it fast, that overwhelm, that friction. I'm like, oh, I got to stop. But if we can get into these rhythms of grace and we can realize that the resources we think we don't have, we actually, in fact, possess because God has it. This is a piece of faith in action, right? You cannot know. My dog is stuck in the doggy door. So you see me keep looking over. Just jump, baby. Just jump. Why are you afraid? I can't get you. You're going to have to jump. You got what it takes. I'm preaching to my puppy. Go, girl. Go. Come on. You can do it. <laughs> Come on. Yay. All right. Good girl. <laughs> Her little tail's wagging. I hope she doesn't come over to the bell time now. Sweet baby. Anyway, it's understanding that we have what we need. Just like Mother Teresa, who had zero idea how she was going to be able to go to the nations. How many of you guys want to go to the nations? Remembering nations is just ethnicity. It's a place. We are all under one ethnic group. And there are many nations under the ethnic group. And so we're here in this space. Your, your community is a nation. Okay? You're the place in which you go to work as a nation. And yet we're meant to go more. So she knows that she's meant to go global. And I feel this way. I feel this like so heavy on my heart and like the heaviness and again that pressure connected to pearlization. Not the, the heaviness affected to grief or worry or even, even though it feels cumbersome sometimes. I know that I know that I know. So there's peace connected to the heaviness. Does that make sense? Make sense and drop in the, drop in the chat peace. Say peace, peace that transcends all understanding. So Mother Teresa had zero resources and her poverty mentality was not attached to a lack mentality. Okay, so a majority of people who have poverty mindset, 
are people who believe that they don't have enough. There are people who believe that they have limited resources always. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough energy. They don't have access. Insert any type. They don't have health, right? Insert anything that you think you need in order to quote unquote achieve or live a life of fulfillment or fullness. And ultimately it comes back to the fact that you actually have breath. Yahweh, <laughs> literally Yahweh is the thing that you need. Jesus is all that you need. And when you put your intentionality in him and he has unlimited resources and riches that are greater than anything here on earth, he makes a way. And so mother Teresa just said, yes, that's all she did. She said, yes. And door by door, nation by nation, city by city, access point by access point, relationship by relationship. And that's the key of it all is relationships are the outcome of something of intentional action associated to love. It's true and it's proof because those biblically who do not propel love and they propel angst or confusion, all things of the enemy, they end up severing their connection to God and they end up existing in a place of sorrow, anxiety, grief. Now, I'm not saying that if you're experiencing grief or you're experiencing anxiety, that you're not connected to the Lord. I would question how connected as far as the first intentional connection point you are with Christ. Understanding that we live in a body, we live in this sin-filled space, but I think even in grief, there is abundant joy. Even in worry, though it says do not worry 365 times in the Bible with intention because yesterday's worries are a thing of itself. Tomorrow's worries will exist. So if we can focus on today, consecrate our days today to the Lord, that worry can be rid. But let's talk about Samuel, okay? I gave you a little snippet from John. It was connected to the conversation about the lame man. And I think we've talked a lot about the lame man, but... For some reason, I keep getting like revelation associated to parenthood and mothering. And this past weekend, I had an awesome opportunity to fly in after our conference on Friday and Saturday with Triggered for Purpose, which was incredibly uh, overflowing and intimate, right? Like first off, let's go there. Stop focusing on the numbers. Mother Teresa says this. She said, focus on the one. She served hundreds of thousands of people by focusing on the one. We know Christ does this. He leaves the 99 for the one. He left 99 for me. I'm sure he left 99 for you. And so one by one by one, we count. And so that, that experience was so intimate, so beautiful. You saw one by one people coming to the altar in God's own timing with them. His own summoning. When I speak to you all, and I get on this bike or I get on an interview, or I get on a stage, it doesn't matter what it is that I'm doing. My process and my heart connected to it is, God, don't hear me. Don't see me. God, just see you. Just see you and know that it's for the one person, the transformation of the one. I heard this yesterday by my friend Austin Blanchfield. He was on my podcast incredible man of God, amazing 
teacher and trainer associated to creating impact and influence on Instagram. And he talked about how Jesus is the only one who transforms, but it's this knowing that man deforms and Jesus reforms. I was like, come on. So God is the creator. And there was a specific word. Oh, God is the former. He forms us in his image. So we've got the former, the one and only. Then we've got the deformer, which is man, which is sin. And then we've got the reformer, which is Christ. And I thought, what? Simplicity is the gospel. Love is the gospel. Connection, submission, surrender. Understanding that our heart laid down makes our eyes alive in a different way. Because otherwise, if your heart is ignited considering all the things that your eyes are seeing, your mind is thinking, your ears are hearing, what's coming out of your mind, of your mouth, right? If you focus on the things that are above your head and you're not sunk into your spirit and your heart, you will be deceived. So let's talk about that connected to Samuel. Samuel was a prophet. And I told you, thinking about mothers, Mother Teresa, last week was Micah and his mom. This week, it's Hannah and Samuel. And Hannah um, was actually a concubine of, a, of, two, of one man, but there was two of them. I'm not sure I'm going to say her name right, but Penina, Penina. See, we're just activating, not out of a place of... Of, of a theology, okay? I don't have a theological degree. I have a Jesus degree, and that's all I need to pursue. But anyway, they are two people married to one guy, and one of them has a ton of children. Hannah cannot get pregnant. And every single year by year, when they go to give their um, sacrifice to the Lord, she gets taunted. Hannah gets taunted and made fun of because she can't have children. And each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and even the small portion that she would get because she didn't get a large portion because she didn't have kids to feed, she wouldn't even eat it. And she would go in tears to God. And so my first question to you is, what is it that you're being taunted and tainted by that are creating tears inside of your own well-being on a consistent basis? And are you responding by going to God or are you responding out of a place of ill will, of loose lips, of um, even jealousy or comparison? Because those places will put you in the confines of culture rather than the covering of Christ. Let's go. Write that in the chat. The confines of culture or the covering of Christ. We get to choose. That's the beauty of being a Christian. That's the beauty of serving a God who loves us so much that he gives us free will. He doesn't make us love him. You see this over and over in the Bible. And Hannah eagerly is wanting something which can seemingly be of the natural. Right? She's like, I want a kid. I want a child. And yeah, there's a natural element to that, but there's an eternal element to that too. And so the Lord hears her prayer. And even as a, a minister initially judges her by her prayer, she's 
speaking with her lips, but no words are coming out. And she was perceived to be drunk by the person who was watching her in the, um, in the church. And she's like, no, 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 I haven't drank anything. I haven't drank anything. I'm just so discouraged and I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. Please don't think of me as a wicked woman for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Again, it goes back to like, you can grieve and bring that to God first and know that he is answering you in his time, in his will. And from that place, Eli said, in that case, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. Now, she's having a conversation with the person, the priest, who eventually is going to take care of her child. She doesn't see how God is working. She doesn't see that in that moment, God was granting Eli compassion towards the mother who was in anguish that he would one day care for her son. I mean, look at the placements. Have you ever had um, like deja vu or a meet cute or a like, I've seen you before or I cannot believe. Yesterday I was on a call with someone about a media um, opportunity in New York City and she was having this whole conversation with me, super lighthearted. And she's working for this woman who's been on the red carpet, who has a talk show, all these different things. And she said, I find out after a year of working with her that she actually went to high school with my mom. And I'm like, that's crazy. And she's like formulating her faith, right? She's like, I used to love Jesus. I love how you have your faith in everything that you do. Wasn't even what we were talking about. I just had an opportunity to minister to her in that moment. God's going to give you these moments. And if we don't take the time and intentionality of love, this is today's message. That's it. That's it. Better use your time. Better use your love. But listen, love only comes from a place of overflow. If you're constantly people-pleasing, if you're constantly in the state of like, well, if I do this, then I'll give this. If you're in this give and take cycle, this vortex, and then you get offended when someone doesn't give back to you, right? There's no love in that. Love is a free gift. God freely gave his son for you, sacrificed on the cross. Hannah does the same thing. It's a pre-telling. It's a pre-telling of the New Testament. Over and over again, this happens. So after Hannah gets what the Lord wanted to give her all along, but she said, I'm going to give this baby back to you, which I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine having nursed my kiddo and then literally dropping them off to a stranger that I had to trust who was going to raise my child well because I consecrated him to the Lord. Now, she clearly has devout faith in a way that I have not yet learned because she trusts God so much. Now, had I been craving a child for that long, we didn't really have um, uh, pregnancy issues. And um, I know a lot of people who have and kills my heart. I just found out uh, friends of mine who actually lost a baby several years ago. And I had no idea. And I thought about the silent grieving. And she told me about what transpired in her heart and her life for years. All the tension and the friction and the even anger towards God, right? So I, I just love Hannah's 
love for the Lord and her faith in him and the ability that she can see something greater because he's blessed her with a miracle she never imagined. And I've surely been blessed and highly favored in many ways. And this challenges my faith. Mother Teresa, while I was reading that book, Ignite by her, well, it's not by her, but her uh, audible clippings are in it. It was written by two others. I'll have to give you guys the actual hunger or thirst for God is what it's called. Thirst for God. And Mother Teresa's on the cover. So good. And it challenged me. It challenged me to think bigger. And I'm a visionary. And I know you guys are too. We think huge. And sometimes that's what causes paralysis analysis because we don't know what's the next step. I can only imagine. Hannah's like, okay, well now I'm giving you my only child, the one I prayed for desperately. And imagine the feeling of loss that I would have felt if I handed that baby over and I'm going back to the same place that I grieved for years without a child. Back into the place where she was getting ridiculed by the other woman who had all the kids. And this is the part. I love how gracious God is. He's so good. He knew her heart. She said each year, oh, this is so sweet. So each year she would go back to see her son when it was that time of offering for the Lord and she would make him a small coat. And when she came with her husband for sacrifice and before they returned home, Eli would bless her and her husband, Elkanah. And he said, may the Lord give you other children to take place of the one she has given to the Lord. And the Lord blessed Hannah and she conceived and gave birth to three more sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And so that's just a mother's journey, a mother's tale. There's surely times where now as I'm processing, God might never ask me to go hand my son to another family or to a church. But he might in fact ask me to hand my son to another family or another church. It might not be now, when he was probably two or three like Hannah had to, but eventually there's the leaving cleave concept in the Bible and I have to be willing to let God handle his battles. I see him now, he's this little warrior. He just got three submissions this weekend in gold in his gi bracket in the international Brazilian jiu-jitsu tournament in Atlanta. He's like killing it, y'all. He's killing it, it's so cool. But what I love most about the entire process is not him winning or learning, winning or learning. You guys gotta get this in your rhythm, especially as a mama, there's no losing, only learning. Winning and learning is his consecrating every match to God. We pray before he goes out, he points to God the moment he finishes, he's like, woo! And like, that is the coolest thing because it's not just like a fame, like natural tendency. It's like a, God did this for me. I got to be used by God. And that's how Mother Teresa's heart is. That's what Hannah is doing. That's what we as mothers and fathers are gonna have to do. We're gonna have to hand our children over. But out of our devout faith, we can trust God because he's done miracles in our own life. And in times that I was in a place of darkness or prodigal, he waited. He was present. He was intentional with every person, place, and thing that was put into my space to breathe. To breathe. 
It doesn't mean that he gave me a drink of water when I was dehydrated. He was the living water, but it wasn't tangible. There were so many places in my area of despair when I was prodigal that I was so thirsty. And it wasn't until I was hydrated by God that that was an eternal uh, just experience and answer. It wasn't. And so out of Hannah's sorrow, she birthed Samuel who became a judge for Israel. And in that judge, he had judgment seat. He had incredible things transpire. His entire brotherhood who were Eli's actual sons, they were bananas. They were not standing in their call. They were standing in a place of greed, eager, gluttony. They were stealing from the Lord's sacrifices that people were bringing even before the offering had taken place. I mean, they were doing some crazy stuff. I'm like, I don't know that I could tempt, literally tempt God. It'd be like going into church and taking the money out of the offering plate. Like, that's what they were doing. It's bananas to me. It's like going in to the financial records of the banking system of a nonprofit, of a ministry, and reallocating the funds. People who steal, <laughs> come on. You're literally aligning to the stealer, the killer, the destroyer, based in your actions, based in lack of relationship and lack of love. I don't get that because it seems like Eli loves Samuel well enough, but I think Samuel was so consecrated to Christ as his provision rather than even Eli, rather than either his given non-birthed father, that there was a covering over this child because of the sacrifice of Hannah, the prayers of Hannah. So when my kids go out and they do whatever it is that they're going to do, I have a, a prayer. I've been on my knees. There's worn spaces on my floor. Not literally, but I know friends who have that. And I'm like, that's incredible. <laughs> there's books of journals. There's notes. There's photos. There's all these things that I've prayed out to God on their behalf. And so it's Mother's Day week this week for those who are listening live. So happy Mother's Day to all the mamas in the house. Dadas, we love you. We're so grateful for you. You'll never understand us, <laughs> but that's okay. God does, and we're so grateful for that. I want to go on to this next part where we're talking about Samuel and his brothers and what transpires with them because I believe there's people in here who are experiencing this, whether it's with your teams, whether it's with your families, whether it's with your communities, where you're seeing people step out in this place and they're not honoring God. And I told you from the beginning that the dead are going to arise. And maybe that is you. Maybe in your spirit, just as you're listening to this, you're like, God, I want that fire. I want that flow. I want that thing. That thing, not necessarily that I have, but you can have it. It's really yours to take because I have an abundance. I have a source connected to that. But maybe you just want to be out of this place of grieving like Hannah was. Maybe you want to be out of this place of sorrow and anguish. Maybe you're exhausted and burnt out and you're tired of fighting the battles in your own flesh as people badger you, as people come after you. Man, you just need love. And I know the answer. I know love. He's got a name and his name is Jesus. Mm. There's this part where it literally says, 
when Samuel first heard from God, maybe this is your first time, like hearing, hearing God speak to you, not me, but God speaking to you and saying, come to me, I have a word for you. Come to me, I have a promise for you. Come to me, your plan that you desperately desire. I've already figured it out, trust me. So God starts knocking on Samuel's doors in the middle of a dream. And he says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. One second, baby girl needs me. What's up, baby? Oh, is it next to Mia's bed over there? It's not? That's where, oh, uh, look inside of the um, blanket basket in the little kitchen nook. Look inside of there. Ah, see, mothering. We got all the things, all the thoughts. So he says he's never heard from him before. Now he's been consecrated by his mother to the Lord. Eli has taken him in. He is a priest, right? And he's underneath this, this church, this covering, this house. And yet he's never heard from God. He's never had a personal relationship with Christ. I think a lot of people feed off of other people's revelation. I think a lot of people go to church just to hear what the pastor has to say so that they can take it as their personal sustenance, their manna for the week. <laughs> Y'all, you can't eat off manna for the week. Manna is day by day by day. He's got manna for you. He's got promises for you. He's got overflow for you. He's got a meal waiting for you at his table and his table alone. And he's speaking to you. It says that you will hear the voice of God's son and you will rise again. And those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and let there be no condemnation. Let there be no condemnation if you feel like you're not good enough because it's not by works that we are saved. It's by faith that we are saved. Remember, he's carried your burden to the cross already. He's already died for your sins. He already knows. You don't have to come and uncover something for Christ. That's not his, it's not his intention. In fact, it's the very opposite. He comes to cover you, cover you and comfort you and love on you and lavish you. He's that father waiting with a ring and a robe. And so as he knocks and you answer, as he speaks and you respond, there's going to be such goodness on the other side of that favor and love and light. He finally learns from Eli, who is his mentor in this moment, and I'm mentoring you right now. You guys listen and sit before the Lord and say, I'm listening, God. He says, speak, your servant is listening. And then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all of my threats against Eli and his family from the beginning to the end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgotten by sacrifices or offerings. So basically, God, who is the ultimate judge, the only one who can judge, we no longer need judges based on, excuse me, based on Jesus coming. I need another drink of water. This is good, I'm lit. Oh man, this is heavy, you guys. This is heavy because what it tells me is that Eli knew. Eli knew what his sons were doing. In fact, 
it says later that he was actually receiving from what was being stolen off the offering table. And they were all gluttonous. They were all overweight. And so in that, it goes to show me that even our carnal sins from a mental greed can become a physical representation of something that we're taking that's actually not meant for us. Something that we're doing that's actually not meant for us to do. And this can go either spectrum of weight, right? There's addiction that actually creates anorexia and bulimia. There are addictions that go into a space of obesity, right? This fluctuates. And so when I talk about health, I'm so much more passionate than just saying, get on your pedaling device and move or go walk or anything. It's because I know in tandem to that intentional time and energy, God's going to download something magnificent to you. If, like Samuel, you're willing to listen, listen to how he speaks to you. We've had plenty of conversations on here about how the Lord speaks and how you can hear from God. So surely check out the Fit and Faith podcast and search it out. We've got the blog on our website, so you can search there too. Um, but it's, it's there. And if, if you need to just DM me and say, I can't find it, where is that episode? Then uh, I'd love to share it with you because we've even had some incredible experts um, on whether they're pastors, authors, um, people who follow the Lord devoutly like Hannah did, like Samuel did, and they hear from God. Remember, not in a place of perfection, but in a place of pursuit. And I love that about Samuel because he too never actually talked about missteps of Samuel so far, at least what I'm reading right now. And uh, I love that he's a man of God and that his mother led the way. And when I talk about he hasn't discipled them yet, connected to Eli, I'm sorry, I read discipled, disciplined. When I talked about Micah last week in Judges, Micah's mom never rebuked her son for the thing he had done wrong. Eli, probably from a place of not wanting to create friction, not wanting to lose the favor of his sons, not wanting to like break up the family because he was supposed to be, this could be from an outside looking in perspective of like, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want people to know that we're not perfect. I don't want people to not sacrifice or not listen to me because my kids aren't listening to me or I've kicked them out, right? There's all these thoughts that I think about from experiences, even my own mother has experienced from her own children, inclusive of me, right? She hadn't, he hadn't disciplined. Disciplined is connected to our children's eternity. And this is something that we don't focus on. Oh, you okay, Shuggy? You all right? Oh, my, I'm coming. Sorry, y'all. My puppy's stuck in her hair. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Hold on. Oh my goodness. She got it out on her own. Holy cow. Oh man. She needs a haircut and her nails just got stuck in her fur. Huh. Okay. Discipline. I need to, not discipline, but I need to give my dogs a haircut. Anyway, are you being disciplined? Okay. I'm asking you this as a grown child. Okay. God wants to discipline you. He wants to correct you. It's not going to hurt, though it might feel like it hurts. He does it from a place of love and correction for your eternity. That's what conviction is. That is what hearing from the Holy Spirit and saying, oh, 
obedience. I shouldn't go right. I should go left. I shouldn't go left. I should go right. I shouldn't probably say that thing. Let me hold my tongue. I shouldn't probably think that thought. Let me hold it captive and replace it with truth from God. I probably shouldn't go to that place because if I go there, I know what's going to happen. And yet you guys, we do this all the time. We go to the store when we know we don't have the money. We go on the vacation and we go to the bar when we know we shouldn't and our spouse is at home. We do, and I say we all collectively because I've been in these scenarios. We eat the thing we know we shouldn't eat because it's going to have temporary satisfaction and comfort. I could go on and on and on and so could you. And so what if you took all of those things, you went to the cross, you sat in front of the Lord and you said, God, speak I'm listening. And you allowed yourself to have gentle correction day by day. That's the thing about our father. He's not expecting you to be perfect. He's expecting you to pursue his perfection. It's totally different. The more I follow Christ, the more I learn about his love and adoration, the more that I see how he speaks to his children, the more that I understand the ways of his walk rather than the ways of the world's walk, I become more Christ-like not to gloat, not to put fame, not to be anything to anybody else other than his daughter. I want to look like my daddy. I want to stand next to him and people say, "Woo, I see the symmetry. You guys look the same. I want to look like him. I want to act like him. I want to walk like him. I want to teach like him. I want to storytell like him. I want to love like Christ, like Mother Teresa did. I want to do that, not because of anything that the world has to offer me, but because of my eternity. And if I can do that and I can understand that, I can also help correct my children. Right? God was, Jesus was always correcting the disciples. Like, will you wake up? I need you to pray. Uh, Are you still sleeping? I need you to pray. Why did you doubt me? I've done this and this and this. Right? He's constantly correcting out of a place of love. It's a teacher. He's a teacher. And I don't ever think now, I know some of my friends who uh, were raised Catholic or back in the day, right, where teachers had a corrective nature of swatting your hand or literally could spank you and discipline then was twitches and just wildly different than what we have today. But imagine if that was our response, right? Not from God, but out of a place of rebuke. There's no fear anymore. There's no fear of God. Fear of God is all struck reverence. We've talked about this so many times on the podcast, but people think of, of, of fear as like, let me run away because of something that you've experienced from a traumatic perspective or from a church perspective, right? Church hurt is so real. And I completely get that. It's why I don't feel called that I need to be in a church pulpit every single week. I, I personally don't see that that's where I'm ever going to sit. Like I surely want to teach and go to different churches around the nations, but my heart is, is to be the church mobilized, to be in the cities, to be at the conversation tables, at the, the bars and the restaurants and the places and the parties where people are, not because I'm in the midst of them, but because we're called to be cities on a hill. We're called to be the light. So when I'm invited into these places, specifically around business, I can go and there's something different about me. Like there's something different about Mother Teresa. And I'm not comparing myself to her, but I'm learning from her as a teacher. We have Harriet Tubman. We have all these incredibly profound leaders that loved Jesus. 
They loved Jesus and they proclaimed his name and they were not ashamed of it. And I think about how Eli and his sons, they didn't do that. They took their role for granted. And you can take your calling for granted. Don't do that, okay? I don't really know what else to say, but don't take your calling for granted. I think we think when we're in a position of authority or something that then we'll be good. When I get to that mountain, then I'll follow God because you'll have time or you'll have something in that space. But no, God wants you to shout so loud right now. He wants you to shout for the fact that you have breath in your lungs. Shout in freedom. Mother Teresa said it this way when she was explaining when she found men or women either who had just their bodies were being eaten from leprosy or they were literally in ditches being eaten by worms. And she would have some of the final conversations with these people. And when I think of that visual, though a lot of people walking around don't have their bodies being eaten by worms, though actually if you know anything about health, they do. There's parasites inside of them and they don't even realize it, but there's literally internal worms. That's another conversation. (laughs) That's a detox that we can also go on through fasting, which I am taking part in a seven day fast starting, um, I believe it's next Sunday. I can drop the link for you guys if anybody wants to come and be a part of my friend James Zing. He's doing it. Um, It's like the seven day miracle fast. um, And I'm excited about it to try to try it. I've only ever done three days. And so I have a little bit of nerves, but my God, (laughs) my God is stronger than I am and he'll um, sustain me for sure. And I want to thirst for God. I want to thirst for God. So anyway, when mother Teresa had these encounters with people, she would, um, instead of being like, it's all going to be okay. Or I'm here to take away the pain like doctors or nurses sometimes do. And they do so out of, uh, lack of knowledge truly because that's not how it happens necessarily though they might have wisdom connected to medicine they need the healer ultimately and so she would go knowing the healer and she would say to them how great are you you're the chosen one you are the one who gets to bear in the pains that christ bared in order to share with humanity that he is that much better he is that much bigger he is love And what would happen is these people would go away from that anguish and that sorrow like Hannah was, and they would come into their identity and say, I am a chosen child of God. I have peace that transcends all. Despite my circumstances, I get to share in the burden of the cross, and I am going to be resurrected eternally alongside Christ. Like that's bananas. Could you imagine seeing someone with worms being eaten alive come into their identity? This is literally what John is saying. It says the dead, the people in their graves, the people dying in the pits who have worms inside of them, who are being eaten alive by the enemy, are going to rise again. And it is by your voice. It is by your testimony. It is by you showing up in pure natured love presenting yourself as a living sacrifice, as a conduit to Christ, to be able to speak his truth, not your own truth, speak his truth to people. They are going to find freedom for eternity. So when you pass by the person who is dying and being eaten alive, please, please do not dismiss them. Do not dismiss them. Mother Teresa talked about how the addicts, the um, ones who are homeless, these people who are impoverished, all of them, the, the least of these, he says, I will know you as you treat them, the least of these, for I am the least of these, Jesus said. He was technically homeless, y'all. 
technically homeless, okay? He didn't have a dollar to his name. He didn't have a bank account. I wonder if he paid taxes. I know he did because he believes in paying taxes, but I think his ministry paid taxes. I don't know that Jesus ever had anything to pay taxes for. I don't know. I need to look into that. But I think about that and I think about so often we as people are trying to connect. We're trying to like level up in our connections and we're trying to gain access to new territory. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I believe that the Lord is the one who elevates us and the Lord is the one who opens those doors. And it's not out of our striving and it's absolutely not out of our taking our attention off the person who is in front of us who needs healing and hope and love simply to get past them to the next place. I was telling my mom yesterday at lunch that there's times where some people that I've wanted to connect with, they have, uh, they'll come and see, I'll see them and I'll be giving them all of my attention. Hey, how are you? I saw this. Congratulations on this. And their eyes are wandering to someone else in the room. And you feel in that moment, like, mm, like that impalement of, of lack of love, that impalement of lack of attention. That impalement of, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. And so regardless of how you perceive me, know that I have real emotions. We all do. And yet I can call myself higher in those times. And I can say, correct in that moment, I hope that I don't do that to people. Let me be intentional with eye contact. Let me be intentional with my time, with my energy in that moment. If I'm embracing them and I have got somewhere to go, tell them that. Right? I'm so sorry. I'm actually supposed to meet someone that I'm so grateful I saw you. Right? Be honest and authentic in those moments and stop trying to get to the next. Um, that's essentially what Eli and her, not specifically Eli, but his sons were doing. And they were taking their status and they were taking it for granted. And they were, they were causing a really, they were defaming Jesus. They were defaming, well, Jesus wasn't here yet, but they were defaming God. And God took it out on them. There was judgment. Two of the sons died on the same day. Eli ended up dying that same day after he found out that his sons had died. He fell backwards in his chair, broke his neck, and completely died. And so I'm not saying that like judgment is going to come through death, but it could come through spiritual death. And that's where all of these places in the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, the Philistines were literally being overtaken by tumors when they stole the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all, this is real life. Like, read the Bible. Read the Bible. I promise you there are things that are happening in society right now that are indicative of this thing because people have stolen truth and they're, they're trying to harbor it, which is not possible anymore, thanks to Jesus who's all-knowing and we have access to the Bible, but not everywhere other cities, other nations are stealing, like, like taking and hoarding the Bible, no access to the written word. And so people are depraved from truth and they're being told lies. Do you think that they're not going to be condemned or judged? You bet your bottom dollar God knows what they're doing. You can bet on God himself that he has a plan. And the plan is that his people will be victorious that the dead will rise again, that there will be revelation, there will be revival across the nations. But the people who choose to be like Eli and take those positions, Eli and his children, for, for granted, without discipline, there are leaders who need to discipline people <laughs> in the best way, in the godly way, out of love. And because they aren't speaking out, and yo, oh, I could go on a tangent on this one. Leaders are not speaking out. 
They're trying to people please. And in the people pleasing, they are not God pleasing. God's got a plan. He's going to win. And so I would just encourage you, if there's places where you feel like you need to discipline, whether it's your children, whether it's your teams, doing this not out of a place of anger, but out of a place of love, helping people draw closer to God in the process. If there's a call on your life, if God is knocking on your door, if he is speaking to you, will you sit? Will you listen? Will you ask him what to do next? He wants to bless you in your places of barrenness, your barrenness. Hannah had a barren womb. You might have a barren soul. You might have a barren body. You might need nutrients. You might need life again. He's going to rise you from the dead if you decide to intentionally place Christ over everything else. Seek him first and his kingdom and his righteousness. You cannot have the kingdom of God without righteousness. It's one and the same. So righteousness means Come to me, follow me, and sin no more. That's what he said to the lame man. He came back after the lame man, after he'd already been healed, and he said, do not sin anymore. Stop sinning and go about your way. And so he was calling him out. I bet you there were so many things that the lame man didn't even realize he was doing. It could have been ego. It could have been pride. Look what I got, even to all of the people who were in and at the pool of Bethesda. Maybe he was gloating. Maybe he was, I don't know, maybe he was acting as if he was still lame and he was trying to steal from people because he didn't know how he was supposed to work anymore or get money or who knows what his sin was. But Jesus knew. And Jesus called him out and Jesus is calling you out. He's correcting you out of love and out of a desire to spend eternity with you. I could keep ranting about this, but I'm going to go because I'm going to go help my kiddos make lunch for school today. Thank you for bearing with me on conversations with my kiddos, my puppy. Um, but I really feel, I really feel strongly about this. And I pray that if you're a mama and you're just listening or a parent and you're just listening to this or a leader, even, even if you don't have your own um, your own children, but you have children, right? If you're a leader, I don't care if they're older than you or not, you have children that you are, you are discipling. It, and I just pray that you would just lean in to all things around Samuel um, and listen to the word of John. But specifically, I am reading from 1 Samuel 1 through, and I went all the way through, I think, 6. Yeah, Same, 1 Samuel 1 through six. All right. Enjoy it. I love you. Let's pray it out. Gotta thank you so much for the leaders that are listening to this podcast right now, for the visionaries who endured the conversation, who endured your gentle, loving rebuke. God, I too am in the recipient mode of that. And I just thank you for the correction, the calling higher, the thirsting for God that even Mother Teresa predominantly shared through her message, through her lens and the way that she loved people so well. God, may we be a lover of people. You love us so well, God. May we be conduits of that love. May we realize that that love is the connection point for people's eternity. It's the relational capital that we can't find anywhere else. God, and if we are intentional and we put you above all things, Lord, all the things that we desire will be ours. I thank you because you are a sovereign God. You are a comforter. You are all-knowing. You love us. You desire our attention. You want to speak to us directly. You have a plan that is far greater than we could ask, hope, or imagine. You have called us out. You have set us apart. We are cities on a hill, Lord. Will we shine brightly, boldly for you, Lord? May we not put it under the basket. May we not put our light under the bushel. May we not let other people who are ridiculing or calling us out, will you not let that distract us or taint us or taunt us from activating in your goodness and your favor? God, may we be the ones out front. 
May we be the ones who are allowing other people to rise from their graves because we're just loving and being a joy-filled light for you, Lord. It's not for our name. It's for your name exclusively. May all the glory go to you, God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We honor you. We praise you. We thank you for your living word. We thank you that when we're in the word, you activate us. You teach us. Thank you for being the ultimate teacher. Thank you for being a teacher who doesn't reprimand in the same way that people reprimand, that the church reprimands, that that the politicians reprimand, that educators reprimand. God, that that's not your heart. We thank you for that love. We thank you that you know us and you know us so intimately that you know exactly what to say. You know exactly who to bring into our corner. You know exactly what sign we need. God, may your signs and wonders chase down my friends today. May they be more attuned to you today, whether it's through the chirping of birds or the dolphins or uh, the wind, Lord. Maybe it's not through weather. Maybe it's through a sweet hug of a child. Maybe it's through the loving attention of their spouse. Maybe it's through the affirmation of a colleague or a leader or a boss. God, whatever it is, however you get through to them, God, speak. Speak for them. Speak to them. Speak through them. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out today. Again, pedal and preach, hashtag pedal and preach. You guys are going to be seeing some fun experiences with pedal and preach here soon. Uh, we'll be jumping city to city and doing it, and uh, it's going to be super epic. So let's let's go. Let's pedal. Let's go. Oh my gosh, I just had this vision that we were going to like literally pedal. So that I don't even have a road bike. <laughs> Maybe we're going to beach cruise. Okay. Who wants to go beach cruising with me in Virginia Beach? That would be so fun. Oh man, let's do that. I saw Rachel Kim was on here. She's about to have a baby uh, soon. I see Blake. I see Kelly. I see Cindy. We're going to have to have a pedal cruise thing. That'll be awesome. All right. I'm just vision casting. Anyway, love you guys. Have a great day. Hey y'all, it's me again. Before you go, let's solidify the flame that was ignited within you today by sharing the spark with your own community. Whether it's mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually, I would love for you to take the step right now by declaring your takeaway. Snap a pic of the episode and share it on your stories or posts. And you can tag me and the guest, and we will surely feature you on our Instas. Hey, you may even unlock a new accountability buddy in me or them. We're totally in this together, and we appreciate the extra step taken. I would be so grateful if you even took the extra step. Come on, give me that extra sauce and leave a review on iTunes for the podcast listening app that is of your choice. I'm going to be featuring your thoughts, in fact, and this is going to be so fun in upcoming episodes. So you'll not only hear your name on the show, but maybe even your passion project or whatever big shout out you want me to make. So please, as a fellow writer, leave some words that I can attest to, and I can't wait to read what you have to say. Thanks again for being a loyal listener, and I hope to meet you in person soon at one of the events that we are speaking at or hosting. And I say we because the Fit and Fake team could not do this without you. Until next time, blessings over your joy, health, wealth, and wholeness. This is the Fit and Faith Way.
In a recent survey, parents reported that 52% of homeschooled children need learning accommodations. These parents need practical advice, encouragement, and hope to fuel their homeschooling efforts. The Empowering Homeschool Conversations podcast is where parents gain wisdom on how to teach unique learners successfully at home, like Laura, who recently told us, I needed this episode. I don't need a fancy curriculum or need to be a special ed teacher to teach my son. You have given me hope. To listen now, go to Life Audio or search Empowering Homeschool Conversations on your favorite podcast app.